This is Leader ReadyCast, a monthly podcast featuring real-world lessons, best practices, and action-oriented insights for the Eurit moments when you're called upon to lead. Leader ReadyCast is the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Government. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Leader ReadyCast. Resilience is a concept that's been in and out of favor for the past decade or so. One of my first tasks upon joining the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative at Harvard back in 2008 was to help brief the Resilience Policy Director at the National Security Council at the White House. Before and since then, definitions have emerged, morphed, and faded away. The resilience topic seems to come in and out of favor, but it's one of my favorite things to talk about, but I think it's so important. And certainly after three plus years of the pandemic, resilience is once again an imperative requiring concrete action, not just theoretical discussions. My guest today, Paul Tolner, has insight on how to understand resilience more deeply and more tangibly. He's the author of a new book, Reinventing Resilience, and a principal of the global change consultancy, Dogger Wing Group. He's also been a partner at Great Place to Work and brings significant understanding of how organizations and the individuals in them deliver high performance. Paul, welcome to Leader ReadyCast. Thank you so much. Appreciate being here. Oh, thank you for being here. We We are looking forward to your insights. Now, resilience is often defined as bouncing back. I've never been a fan of that particular definition. I've always preferred bouncing forward with hope and confidence. How do you define resilience? I I love the question. And resilience uh, is a a word that, as you mentioned, takes on many, many meetings in many different contexts. But the way I define it is the courage and confidence to grow through challenges. You know, too often we think about resilience as just that moment when we stand up again after being knocked down. And uh, what's problematic about that about that definition is that simply standing up is kind of viewed as the goal or success. But the reality is that's not quite good enough. Getting up again is something necessary, but it's not sufficient. We need to keep going and keep moving forward because when you're knocked down, uh, time keeps moving forward and moving on. And so by the, by the time you actually get back up again, you're in a different location than when you got <laughs> down. So uh, it's always important to think. And plus, it's a deficit-based definition, really. When you think about just getting knocked down and standing back up, there really is no growth or development implied in that definition. And I'd, I'd like to give resilience a little bit more credit than that and think about it as uh, what we learn in the process of going through challenges. I very much like that you've included growth in that and learning, because I think you're right. I mean, that's the whole, you are going to have to move forward at some point. And if you're not growing and changing and getting better and stronger for it, you haven't learned the lessons of what you've been through. Um, But you argue that most organizations, or at least many organizations, are getting resilience wrong. How so, beyond just thinking of it as, as bouncing back or standing up, what are some of the common misconceptions you've come across? Yeah, one of the most common misconceptions that I've seen is that organizations tend to believe that if we just simply fill up our organization with resilient people, we then magically have a resilient organization. And that's just not true. So um, I think organizations have done a great job, especially over the last couple of years, encouraging individuals to really think about what it takes for them to recover as as individuals from personal or professional setbacks. So 
you know, there's been, you know, as you know, an enormous effort to really get get people focused on their own mental and physical well-being and and sort of uh, maybe focusing on their purpose and things like that. All of those are really good things, but that's not going to necessarily magically make the organization ready for the next big challenge that it faces. So I think organizations that need to think about resilience need to think about it a little bit more broadly as what systems, what processes, what policies and procedures, uh, what's our organizational structure? How is it designed to help us grow through the challenges that we know are coming? I think we all can pretty much uh, agree that more change is coming. You know, we, we've experienced a lot of it in the past, and I think we all know that there's no shortage of it and there's more to come. Some of it we can see and we can anticipate, but boy, we sure got a big dose of unforeseen and unpredicted challenges over the last couple of years. And I think organizations are really ready to start thinking about how they can improve and maximize their resilience so, to weather, whatever the next storm might be. I like how deep and broad what you just said pushes the conversation where, where it takes it. I know one of our executive education participants recently, and we were talking about resilience, said, you know, please don't give me one more meditation app I haven't got time for. Right. You know, this idea that you can sort of bolt more things in your employee assistance program and somehow that's going to make you magically resilient. But I think what you're talking about in terms of thinking through the processes, the protocol, the structure, everything about the organization, sort of designing for, for resilience or from resilience even um, right. would be a place to start. So your your, your model has, has several facets to it. Uh, can you walk us through the basics? I know we've only got audio here, so you'll have to create a magical <laughs> picture uh, yeah. with your words. But I think it's really important because, again, to get to this deeper understanding and broader application, you actually have to go at it with a more complex mindset. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll probably be waving my hands as I talk to, in hopes that people will get what I'm saying. But um, so basically, you know, when, when I talk about the definition of resilience as the courage and confidence to grow through challenges, that's an output of a resilient organization, right? So there's been some work done to create an organization that is resilient, but at the core of a resilient organization are two things. And this is from the research that I did studying uh, organizations, interviewing CEOs, talking to different leaders, and also applying uh, concepts of individual resilience to the organizational level and seeing if it could actually scale. And, you know, good news, it does. So at the core of the model is this idea that resilient organizations are ones that have what I call staunch realism, which is basically an awareness of the situation and circumstances that it's in. They have a very accurate and almost clear-eyed view of, of the reality that they're facing. They're not Pollyanna about it. They're not wishful thinking. They're not catastrophizing. They really have a clear, uh, realistic view uh, about it and have a good healthy habits around assessing what's really true in, for their organization. So number one is staunch realism. The second part at the core of a resilient organization is the idea of collective efficacy. And that's a long way of saying belief. So organizations that are resilient have a belief that they can win even when the challenges they're facing are difficult and, and like a steep uphill climb. So maybe they've never experienced that particular challenge before, or maybe this is just one of many that they're experiencing at the same time. No matter what's happening, a resilient organization is, is sort of collectively has this belief that, you know what, We're, we, can, we can get through it. 
we've all walked into the, you know, into buildings or into organizations where you can feel it, that palpable sense of everybody here, you know, they may be running around with their hair on fire, but they know that they can get somewhere. They know they can do something. They actually believe they can quote unquote, put a man on the moon if they need to. Um, so um, staunch realism and collective efficacy are at the core of this model. And those can be developed through a number of things that the, you know, that I also include in my model, such as identifying blockers, things that hold an organization back, um, understanding and accepting the situation for what it truly is, discovering new, practical, tangible, doable possibilities that are actually um, a stretch, but reachable. And then lastly, accessing untapped or hidden resources, resources that you might not necessarily think of in a moment of particular, you know, challenge, you know, we, like many individuals, we tend to forget uh, about our, uh, what, what capacity we have when we're, you know, overly stressed, for instance, you know, our peripheral vision narrows, we forget that we can, you know, do things. So accessing resources is the fourth part of the four-part model uh, that surrounds the core of staunch realism and collective efficacy. I like that very much. And certainly those, those two central elements remind me of the, of the Stockdale paradox. It was hmm. about many years ago, you know, James Stockdale, the highest ranking prisoner during the uh, Vietnam War, the roommate said you had to keep a clear eye view of what was happening and believe you'd get through it and be better off for it on the other side. And That's I think exactly. that 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 common belief is so important. And Absolutely. I think that, um, and then again, as you've talked about organizational resilience, I mean, again, when you look at the hidden resources in particular that lie in the relationships throughout the organization. So it isn't just a collection of individuals, but how well they work together. I assume that would be part of what makes for a resilient organization. Absolutely. Definitely. Yep. So, that's great. That's a model. I love models. I think they're really helpful for, for framing thinking. But if, so now you're sitting with the leader of an organization and a lot of our listeners come from, from government organizations. So I know you've gone across public, private and nonprofit sectors. So we have a lot of government and NGO folks who listen to this podcast. If you're sitting down with a leader of an organization who said, okay, Paul, this is great. Sounds good. Um, you know, we've been through a hellish three years. I'm really trying to move us forward again. Where do you start? Where, where would you tell them to start? Where do they start looking? How do they begin to put this model into practice? Yeah, uh, it's a well. I, there's so many folks out there who are who are struggling uh, and whose organizations are struggling right now. And I, I, my heart goes out to every one of them. Um, and I think the fact that they care is really an important uh, aspect to all of this. And and leadership has never been more important in those moments. And the way I try to advise folks when they're starting to think about how can we create uh, a more resilient organization is first to define resilience, of course, right? We're, we're not, we're not just going to simply get up after being knocked down. That's, that's good, but not good enough, but also to really take a look at the, the model that I created and use it as a way to incorporate some of this language into their own organization and ask great questions of the people in, in the organization, not just leaders, but everybody and say, you know, do do we believe we can win? Like, can, how do we know? Like, show me some, uh, tell me a story of a time when we as an organization got through something challenging. Uh, tell me a story about when we were at our very, very best and we were all firing on all cylinders and really just going for it. Um, you know, reinvigorating and reconnecting to that uh, energy, success, and, uh, you know, uh, accomplishment that the organization has in it 
is one of the most important parts of helping get past this idea of, oh no, we've been knocked down, right? So what do you see when you're knocked down? You see your feet or, you know, the the tops of your shoes. (laughs) Like you need to like get refocus people on the fact that they've gone through hard things before and have succeeded and, and, and uh, made it through many hard things. Like an organization uh, uh, gets to the point it is today because it's earned that right. It's, it's gone through enough challenges to earn the spot that it's, that it has today. It's, you know, it's one contract. It has, uh, overcome challenges. It has, you know, um, solved difficult problems. You know, incorporated new technologies. Done all these things to get to the point where it is right now. When there's a challenge, we forget all that stuff. So, getting a leader and its and the senior team and the key key stakeholders in the organization reacquainted with that success is one of the most important parts of stoking the energy to get. Uh, an organization reconnected to the fact that it probably already is resilient and just forgot. Can you? I've got an example in mind, but I'd love to hear from you. Can you give us an example of an organization you think that does that really well? Oh my gosh, yes. I've, I wrote about a great organization in my book, and and I'll go a little um, maybe unconventional here because it's a, a, a nation, na- nationwide nonprofit, the YMCA, and they have an incredible. Um, legacy, uh, more than uh, 100 years, almost 200 years now, uh, working in the United States. Uh, But many people don't know that the YMCA provides meals to members of their communities all over the country. Uh, And it's one of the leading providers of uh, free and reduced meals to adults and families uh, in in most states and and around the country. Uh, When the pandemic hit, um, there was an massive disruption to their ability to provide those meals in various communities around the country. And I met with uh, the the folks at the YMCA and who talked a lot about uh, what some of those communities did, you know, pivoting, changing, you know, making it all happen as a result of, you know, uh, creative thinking and tapping into the resources that they had, you know, like one, one community used uh, city trucks uh, to, you know, borrow had good enough relationships with the city that they could borrow trucks to deliver meals to different parts of the of the city. The kitchen was closed, so uh, one of a, a private sector uh, company that had excess capacity started creating uh, meals to go uh, for for members of the community, and just really amazing things. And the reason that all worked, and the reason they were able to pivot on a dime and deliver that kind of um, you know, service to their members and and uh, the communities that they work in is because they had 120 years of success serving people, right? They had been through a lot of stuff before. Uh, they, you know, lots of you know, like the depression, you know, for instance, the economic turndowns, the different natural disasters and various other things that they've been called to respond to over the years equipped them to deal with the pandemic in a way that no other organization could. And I think that's what is, you know, they, they were unblinking in their ability to respond. They just said, yep, this is, this is what we've been called to do today. So we're just going to go do it and make it happen. Uh, they didn't catastrophize. They didn't sort of wring their hands. They didn't, you know, uh, twiddle their thumbs. They just, you know, did what they always did. They just responded. And I think that's what um, great organizations and resilient organizations do is they, they tap into um, their inherent uh, strengths and, re- and use them to 
uh, respond at those moments when they're most critical. That's a really great story. Thank you for that one. And thank you to everyone at the, at the YMCA that has carried through and continued to provide great service to, to so many communities. You know, the, the example I was thinking of, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard this before, but one of the companies I've looked at in the past is Herman Miller, the, uh, the, the furniture designer and manufacturer. And they have people in the organization with at least 20 years of tenure there who are designated as water carriers. And their job is to tell the stories of the culture to people who come in who are new to make sure those stories get carried forward uh, and pass through those times, good and bad, um, to really make sure that, that the culture stands, stands the test of time. And I think that um, you know, too few organizations, I think, pay attention to just what you're talking about is let's capture those stories. Let's tell those stories. Let's make sure we know our story, uh, because if you've been around for as long as the YMCA and certainly other organizations out there. Um, yeah. You've got some good stories to tell. And if they leave, the, they, they leave the building forever when, you know, Jane retires or Joe goes off to do something else, uh, you've lost a real resource. For sure. Yeah. I, I also, <laughs> I tell the story of the world's oldest company in my book. It's, there's a small company in Japan that's this, that got started in the year 1500. Uh, so <laughs> organizations that last that long are ones that really do remember their past and do understand their their history, can sense those patterns of of decision making, use them to their advantage, and really move the organization forward. So yeah, um, I think le legacy is really important, and even even small organizations that are relatively new can lean on the past, even if it's a short past, because uh, oftentimes just the act of um, starting an organization is, is a courageous one that requires a lot of tenacity to get through some challenges. Absolutely. Uh, that, that small business in, in Japan is on my bucket list of places to get to. So <laughs> someday, someday. someday. Um, you also talked about courage. And I know we, we often think about courage as an individual characteristic, um, but you want to talk about organizational courage. And I think it was really interesting. Um, what is organizational courage and how can leaders foster it? Because I don't see it demonstrated as often as I would, I would like. <laughs> Organizations tend to be very conservative, right? And it's, it's somewhat defensive, but how, do, how does an organization demonstrate courage? Yeah. Well, uh, courage is the uh, ability to face and deal with something, even when we're afraid uh, of it or don't really understand it, or maybe don't, don't know what's on the other side of it. And that's true of individuals as well as organizations. And, you know, we're, we're, we're hardwired to run away with things. And because organizations are kind of made up of people, that's a typical response to, to, you know, something that's frightening or scary or unknown is to kind of want to run away from it or resist it in some way. But organizations that are courageous are ones that really do face those things head on, face challenges head on, uh, even if it's frightening. Um, they're also pretty honest about when they are facing challenges. Uh, they tell their folks, they tell their employees and their people that you know what this is. Uh, this is might be a bit of a difficult patch for us. Uh, it's going to be a steep uphill climb for a little bit, but we're going to be we're going to get through it because we have the right people in the in the right seats, doing the right work at the right time. And you know, destiny has brought us to this moment, and here <laughs> we are, like ready to go uh, and and move forward on it. But you know, all of those things that. Um, that impact and affect an organization, you know, uh, co competition, um, evolving technologies, economic, you know, economic challenges and things like that, even political and policy shifts and, and all those things that are forces that are acting on an organization um, are 
difficult and scary sometimes, but when you when you kind of stand tall and and look beyond them and look towards the horizon of where you actually want to go, uh, they become a little easier to a little bit easier to deal with because that's you know that's the reality of the situation for one, but also um, they they tend to be uh, put in perspective when you're thinking about the long term. So I think organizations that that are courageous are the ones that can kind of put those challenges into perspective and keep moving forward despite the fact that it could be a little bit of a bumpy or steep climb. And again, can you give us an example from your research? Because I think this is so intriguing. I'd love to be able to our, our listeners to be able to visualize what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing the CEO of a, a you know, mid-sized pharmaceutical company based in California called Protagonist Therapeutics. They make medicines that treat um, irritable bowel syndrome, right? IBS. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that they do, obviously, is clinical trials for their medicines, right? So they 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 make a medicine, they try it out on some people. There's blind studies uh, to see who's responding to the medicines, and those if the medicine is viable and actually delivering the uh, remedies that it's uh, intended to do, then it goes to market, right? And that can be a big boon to the company because, you know, then they've, they've sort of found a, found a product that the market really needs and, can, and wants. Um, Protagonist Therapeutics uh, conducted a survey. To make a long story short, there was some human error on the part of some of the labs that created a false positive on the results. Um, so they had starting, you know, prior to this error, they were signaling to the, you know, investment community that they were about to launch a big blockbuster IBS drug. Uh, but then, you know, so they couldn't promise it, obviously, because the trial hadn't been completed, but they were sending the signals. It's pretty common to just sort of like send that vibe out to the market in anticipation. Um, but then when this news struck, their stock took a nosedive and really was absolutely, you know, decimated. I think they went, you know, something like 75% loss in a day uh, when they, when, when this news hit. So the CEO actually uh, responded with a a very, in a very courageous way, because he didn't go on a blame finding expedition in the organization. He did not scream from the top of his desk, heads will roll. Like he (laughs) wanted to make sure that he understood the challenge and he understood the problem. He put everything in context and said, you know what? We're in a, we're in a high risk business. We're in, we are in, you know, medical technology. We're in, we're basically scientists. And we know from science that sometimes things go wrong and we're, we kind of, you know, are trained to learn from those moments when things go wrong. That's what we do as scientists. And that's what we're going to do this time. So instead of uh, kind of, you know, blowing up the whole research and development department or the clinical trials group or anything like that, he sought to understand. Uh, and I think that gave the organization a lot more, um, you know, courage to weather the storm that it was inevitably going to face, you know, the market no longer trusting this organization or thinking, wow, if you can't do that, why can't, you know, certainly can't do anything else, you know, like, so the skepticism and scrutiny that comes from a public mistake like that lasts for a long time. But he said, nope, we're just gonna we'll 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 have our moment. It just isn't now. And we'll we'll keep going. And it was a pretty remarkable act of leadership, I thought. 
Yeah, it's terrific. There's so much to unpack in that story. You know, I was, <laughs> I've, I've been working with a, spent some time with a public sector agency recently, and as they were looking through sort of what they were learning uh, through the COVID response and then moving forward, two of the big weaknesses they identify were they couldn't admit when they were wrong. Mm. And the leaders were, were really reticent to say what they when they didn't know something, mm. right? Because again, they were scientists and they were used to say, like, we know stuff, mm. um, but they were very reticent. So it sounds again echoes of what you're you're talking about here. Um, do, do you find that it's what, what it's great to hear that positive story? As others look to diagnose why they maybe haven't stepped up, do you have any thought as to where the typical uh, pitfalls are? Is it is it fear? Is it is it uh, I don't know. What, what have you come across? Yeah, I think, um, you know, resilience is something that is, uh, is, is not, you know, it's like many things, right? It's not a destination. It's a process. And I think that's the, that's the hard part for most leaders is to recognize that um, you have to start somewhere and you have to start by starting. And sometimes when you, are starting uh, the process of thinking about how to make the organization more resilient. You turn over a few rocks and you're like, oh boy, that I, I w- wish I hadn't done that because now I'm seeing more things that I didn't really want to see. <laughs> but I think the it that alone, just doing that is the active courage that organizations need to move forward and to take on some of this, this challenge. And I think now more than ever, there is an appetite to think about, you know what, the, the, the discomfort of preparing my organization is far less than the discomfort I'm going to feel if another pandemic hits or if another big natural disaster hits or another economic downturn hits, right? So I'd rather, I'd rather have some of, I'd rather work with the people I know and care about and trust every day to build a better organization versus rolling the dice and seeing if we're, we can handle, you know, whatever comes next and who knows what that's going to be. Right. So I think that's the, that's the argument tends to uh, resonate with leaders who want to um, get a little bit unstuck and start moving forward because, you know, I think for a long time, leaders are real, have been really like um, disoriented from, you know, from all of the uncertainty and volatility that's been happening in the world. It's hard to know from one day to the next where things are going. But I think just getting a clear-eyed view of the future that you want and creating that for your organization and moving in that direction is um, is uh, is is you know sometimes marching into the darkness, right? Marching into the unknown a little bit, or marching into a valley, right? And that's hard. But you have to, you know, that is that is much easier than just sitting and waiting for the next thing to roll over you. So that's uh, that that would be my advice for for. Um, for leaders is to, you know, have the active courage to take a few steps in, in a direction that you want to go in um, and then have some compassion for yourself when it's challenging because it will be and, uh, and, and keep moving forward as much as you can and uh, recognize that even, even when you feel like you've been knocked down, you're actually still moving forward. Um, you know, there is, there is always growth and learning that happens in those moments of, of peak challenge. That's great. Thank you. And now my final question is one I ask every guest, and it certainly is right up your alley, given the topic of resilience. What gives you hope? Mm. A lot gives me hope, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think what gives me hope is that 
people are still in control. <laughs> At least for now. <laughs> now, right? Uh, I work with, you know, as a principal at Daggerwing Group, I work with leaders all the time who are just so um, caring and compassionate, who really want the best for their teams, and who really think and you know they they feel strongly about creating a great workplace experience for their their colleagues. You know they they're they they don't want stress in their own lives, and they certainly don't want to create stress in anybody else's life. And I think when we depersonalize organizations and think of them as these monolithic um, institutions that are just kind of behind their logos, we lose that humanity. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I get to work inside large organizations a lot and I get to see that humanity. I get to see the people who really want to create strong, resilient organizations. They want to you know, create organizations that thrive. They want to create organizations that actually lengthen a person's life instead of shorten it, you know, and um, that gives me a lot of hope. You know, there are so many great leaders out there doing such great work that, um, that it, it makes me feel good that so many companies are led by them. Um, it, and, you know, Hey, not every company always has a great day on the stock market or, you know, in, in an initiative or a product launch or, a, you know, in it or, a, or a program that they're rolling out. But over the long term, I think, you know, organizations do, you know, always move forward with with great leadership. And it's just really amazing to see folks who are out there, you know, getting in there every single day, trying to trying to make it happen and, and you know, not just deliver on the results, but also create a great workplace at the same time. That that takes a lot of energy and courage. My guest for this episode has been Paul Tallner, author of Reinventing Resilience, How Organizations Move Beyond Setbacks and Grow Through Challenges. It's a timely read and provides truly useful guidance. I recommend it. Until next time, remember that you're it. Be ready to lead when it matters most. This has been another episode of Leader ReadyCast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.